Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. What was Jesus repeatedly saying? I kept hearing, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I mean, imagine you're sitting in the pews like you are right now, and instead of me saying Jesus' words to you, I'm saying to you, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, I will, and he will live forever. And the bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh drinks my blood, abides in me, and I am him. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay, I'm saying that to you. What are you thinking? You're thinking, this guy's crazy. He's a few fries short of a happy meal, right? If you don't think I'm crazy, I think I'm crazy. And so did those who were listening to Jesus as well. They probably should because it sounds crazy unless you really understand and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came to take away our sin. So radical are these words of Jesus that some 200 years after his death and resurrection, Rome had charges against the Christian followers of Jesus. They called them <coughs> cannibals. Now, in or around 230 AD, the Octavius of Menesius Felix, it's written by Menesius Felix, this is Octavius, details a conversation between two friends, Octavius a Christian, and Cecilius, a pagan. When Cecilius stops to pay his respects at a shrine as they're walking, an extended debate erupts between the two, and the Christian Octavius replies to the charges that Cecilius lays against the Christians. Some of those charges are these. Disruption of business. Christians are grossly immoral. They're anti-family. They create poverty, atheism, lack of patriotism. They're anti-social anti in their behavior, and they're cannibals. What Cecilius was probably referring to was Jesus' words in John 6. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Listen to the response of Octavius. Well, that story has moved on the rounds. Whether through malice or misunderstanding, I don't know. It's probably based on reports that we share together a meal of the body and blood of Christ. That we do. But it is not human flesh that we eat. It is bread and wine we consecrate to commemorate our Lord's death. And then Octavius continues, it amazes me to that you give credibility to these rumors of cannibalism. You know what we are like. 
Keep in mind that if you have a child you can, you can, that you do not want or it's deformed, you expose it. You put it out to die. We do not expose children. Instead, we take the children who have been exposed by others and give them a loving home. All the charges are made up. Antisocial? No. Anti-patriotic? No, they just wouldn't burn incense to Caesar who thought he was a god. But again, the charge of cannibals was the one that sticks out the most. It probably came from those words of John, or it could have come from Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper. How often have you heard these words? Matthew, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Take, drink. This is my blood, the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. The words of Jesus in John's Gospel are even more graphic than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What did Jesus mean when he, was, when he said this? What, what could he be thinking? This is so confusing. <clears throat> was, he, was he speaking literally? Or was he speaking figuratively? Or was he speaking a little of, of both? Is the, the bread and the wine that we consecrate in communion literally the body and blood of Christ? Is there some kind of change that takes place in the elements? Did Jesus have a figurative meaning in mind when we said we needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Revealed by his actions, the fact that we're still celebrating this remembrance of him today, I think it's more figurative than what he had in mind than literal. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. <clears throat> If Jesus was physically present as he made those comments about the bread and the cup, how could the bread and the cup physically be his body and blood? Jesus wasn't transforming common elements in a physical way. He was redefining the Passover meal as a celebration of his sacrifice on the cross that was about to take place. Jesus was saying that we should now think of the Passover not as a, a time of salvation for the Jews in Exodus from Egypt, but from the Passover of our sins because Jesus died on the cross for us. 
He was saying that what we call the Lord's Supper now was to be a sign, a sign that we have accepted the sacrifice of his life for <coughs> that he has paid the penalty for the wrongs we have done against one another and against God. And because of that, the one who has been offended, God, can now forgive those who have offended him, you and me. The Jews were not confused by Jesus' words. They had a frame of reference from which to understand them. Their response was not confusion. Neva's disciples in verse 60 said, this is a hard teaching. What they understood is something that William Barclay shares with us in his commentary. The Jewish frame of reference of what took place when a sacrifice was made and the people ate from that sacrifice. This is the concept behind the Gentile giving of a sacrifice, and sometimes probably by those Jewish folks who misunderstood what they were doing. Usually the animal was seldom burned entirely. Only a token part was burned. The rest divided, part given to the priests for their food, and part given to the one offering the sacrifice for their sins, for their atonement. So they could have a feast, a celebration of forgiveness with their family and their friends. It might be the only time during the year that you would get meat like that. But here's the theology behind that sacrifice. At the feast, the God himself was held to be a guest because of the meat that had been offered to him. More, once the flesh had been offered to the God, it was held that the God had entered into it, and therefore when the worshiper ate it, it was literally eating the God. So people rose from such a feast, they went out as they believed, literally, God filled. And Jesus, I believe, was taking this concept and saying, in the same sort of theology and thinking, as you eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of me, you are filled with my spirit. As you express faith in me as your Savior and Lord, you go forth to do my will. And I am with you, always. <clears throat> to the Jews, this idea they understood was repulsive. God had proclaimed to them that the sacrifices were to be different from those of the pagans. There was not to be blood in the sacrifice, because blood is what made the pagan sacrifice different. Jews didn't partake of meat with blood in it, and they didn't drink blood because they knew that blood was the essence of life, and they didn't want any part of the false gods entering into them. God remained separate and apart outside to them. They were God's people, not carriers of God in their person. But yet here is Jesus saying, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of salvation, the new covenant. My blood shed for you. This is my blood. Drink it. Take my life force into you. Have me in the center of your being. Jesus transforms us 
into the church, into his people, into his community of faith as we come to him. And we experience that afresh and anew every time we come to the table of the Lord. The Lord's Supper brings Jesus into the center of our life. It's a reminder that we need and that we rely on Jesus for all things. So the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, are reminders to us of the sacrifice of Jesus. They remind us that through the sacrifice of Jesus, God has provided for us eternal life through faith. It reminds us that we are saved only through faith in Jesus, not by our works, not by our holiness and offering the sacrifice or feasting with one another, not in the elements themselves, but that we're saved by faith in Jesus' sacrifice for us, by God's grace, <coughs> new people. It reminds us, because it is a visible reminder of our union with Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We're taking, we're feeding in faith upon him. Spiritually, God is nourishing us and calling us from worship to service. If we've been spiritually nourished, if Christ is at the center of our being, will he be our Savior, our Lord? Will he be real to us? Or will he remain a figure in a book that we read from time to time, or hear someone preach about and come to church on Sundays? The death and resurrection of Jesus attested to by the Lord's Supper, is a life-transforming event. God is saying, I traveled with you in the tabernacle. You come to worship me in the temple, but now I'm going to go with you in your body. My spirit's going to indwell you. You, as my people, are the temple, the body of Christ in the world today. And if we are the temple of God, carrying Christ into the world to reach out with his grace and his love to make a difference, we have one question to ask ourselves. If Jesus is present with us, how will we live? Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your love and your grace and the opportunity to be together in worship. Move us from worship, O Lord our God, into acts of service. Guide us through your spirit that indwells us. Guide us to be your people. Engage in your ministry and your work, sharing with others the good news that there is a salvation, not by works, but by grace, your grace. The one who has been wronged has offered forgiveness for those who will confess faith in his sacrifice for them, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God, help us to be people who proclaim your goodness, your grace, your love, your new life offered through faith to all, in word and in deed. By the power of your Spirit, in the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. <clears throat>